Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, hey, how about Gideon Mangus leading us in worship this morning? Prayer, scripture, pop, incredible. Good job, Gideon. I got to tell you, I've had in the past week, four different meetings with young guys in their 20s who are hungry to serve the Lord, hungry to serve the church. They love Jesus. They feel called to ministry. Isn't that exciting? I mean, that kind of thing gets me fired up. Gideon's one of them. He grew up in this church. I pray there'll be more young men, young women who want to serve in the church, who feel called, who, who pick up the, the, the call to follow Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together this morning. We're so grateful to be gathered in this place, worshiping you. We know that there are brothers and sisters who are watching online right now, worshiping with us, Lord. We thank you that your church defies boundaries. And that through the Spirit, we're connected and we can worship you in spirit and truth rightly. Lord, we do thank you for the music and the prayers and, uh, and, and the scripture reading and the creeds that have been recited this morning here in this place. And Lord, as we open your word, we pray you teach us. It's our desire to know you. Open the eyes of our heart so that we can see you clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to show you a, a quote here. Let's put this on the screen. This is an interesting quote that I've come across recently. Certain teachings, it says, certain teachings in the Bible are like, as, I'm sorry, are as diamonds in a dung heap. Right? I can't believe I just read that in church. Not accredited to me. You know, this is an interesting quote. It's using a simile to compare the Bible to a dung heap. And that's pretty brazen. It's pretty brash. Let me tell you who said that. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, around 1800 said this, certain teachings in the Bible were as diamonds in the dung heap. Thomas Jefferson, the guy who was a founding father of this nation, author of the Declaration of Independence, third president of the United States of America, he had misgivings about the authority of Scripture. He was not orthodox in his understanding of Scripture. There are some people who, who can't decide whether Jefferson was a Christian or an atheist. Read it for yourself. It's interesting. He, he almost lost the election of 1800 because of things like that that he said. I think that's a pretty interesting picture that speaks to where we are in America today. We're kind of conflicted, aren't we? We're conflicted people. What is it? Do we, do we love God? Or do we totally deny Him? It feels like sometimes we're stuck in that kind of battle. Uh, skepticism about the authority of the Bible, which is what Jefferson was essentially saying in his quote there, is nothing new. I want to show you some statistics from the Barna Foundation. Barna Foundation, of course, uh, studies the church through surveys. They, they, they publish their data. Really interesting stuff. They did a survey to examine the spiritual and political profiles of America recently not too long ago, and I want to show you this. They, they identified different faith tribes. That's what 
Barna called them, different faith tribes. There were five for this survey. The first was evangelical Christians. Now, Barna differentiated between evangelical Christians, non-evangelical Christians, and nominal Christians, people who say they're Christians. They distinguish between that, and they found in their research that only 6%, only 6% of Americans are evangelical Christians. We at Christ Church would say that we're evangelical Christians. That's our stance. But only 6% of America would identify as evangelical Christians. Here's what those people believe. Those people believe uh, they're, they're socially conservative, 79% of them. They're 84% pro-life. They're 0% believe that Jesus sinned. They believe that he was without sin during his time on earth. Okay, So that's the evangelical Christians. Let's look on the other side of the equation, the group that Barna identified as religious skeptics. Maybe Jefferson would have been in this category somewhere. Religious skeptics. This is a quarter of the population. 25% of Americans fall into this category of religious skeptics as compared to 6% of evangelical Christians. Look what they believe. 62% are, are socially liberal. 13% are pro-life. 69% of that group believe that Jesus sinned during his time on earth. Huh, interesting, isn't it? The discrepancy, though, that's the greatest has to do with the Bible. Let me show you this. When asked about the authority of Scripture, here's what they said. Evangelical Christians, 100% of that 6%, 100% believe that the Bible is accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. However, on the flip side... Uh, only 4% of the religious skeptics believe that the Bible is accurate and all the principles that it teaches. I think this is a pretty good portrait of where America is in terms of our understanding of the Scriptures today. We're beginning this new series. We're really excited about it called Solus, the Gospel Alone. And what we're going to be looking at is historical truths that Christians have held to going all the way back to the Reformation of the 1500s. I mean, we have ancient bearings and in, in, in roots in our faith. We're going back to those in this series. And today in particular, we're talking about, and this is in Latin, sola scriptura, Scripture alone. Here's the big statement about Scripture alone. This is the traditional belief held by the church Scripture alone is the only final decisive authority for discerning, teaching, and defending truth. I'll say it again. Scripture alone is the only final decisive authority for discerning, teaching, and defending truth. This is what the church's position is. This is what we believe here at Christ Church at Grove Farm. But I'll tell you this. The American culture is asking a question today, I believe. I have a friend who phrased it in a really interesting way. I want to share it with you. Here's the question the American culture is asking. Why does the Bible get to be in charge? Who put the Bible in charge? Why is the Bible in charge of, of sexuality? Why is the Bible in charge of social issues? Why is the Bible in charge of sanctity of life? You may have friends or family who are asking those questions. They wonder about the authority of Scripture. Why, why is the Bible in charge? You may have some co-workers or neighbors who have those questions. Listen, some of you listening at home, you have those questions. 
You're wondering, why does the Bible get to be in charge? Why is Bible in charge of, of my sexual relationship with my significant other? Why, why is the Bible pertinent to what I believe socially in my life and the way I live? Why is the Bible in charge? If you have those questions, we're glad you're listening. Welcome to the discussion. Fair enough. You got those questions? Let's bring them to the table. Here's what I want to present today. Let's talk about what, what we, as people who believe in the authority of God's Word, have the same response to that question, why does the Bible get to be in charge? Are you with me with this? I'm excited about this series. I'm telling you, it's going to be a barn burner. We're going to be in Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament for much of this series. In fact, it's going to be kind of our home base, the book of Romans during this series. Today, I want to take you to Romans 15, and we're going to look specifically at verse 4. Let's pick it up. It's on the screen. Some of you have your Bible with you. Let's read together. The Scripture says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Here's a statement that I would take out of that passage immediately. The Bible is constantly timeless. Constantly timeless and continually relevant. You hear me? The Bible is constantly timeless and continually relevant. People think it's outdated. People think it doesn't apply. No, no, no. It's just the opposite. Let's look at this that verse in two chunks. Let's look at the first chunk. The first chunk is all the verbiage there to the comma. The part that says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. This means that all of the Old Testament, the books of law, the books of history, the books of poetry, the prophetic books, the minor and, and major prophets. Not only those, but those in the New Testament. The Gospels, the stories of Jesus, the account of His living. Church history in the book of Acts. The epistles written by Paul, the letters. And also the book of Revelation, a book of prophecy. All of them is what this is saying. All parts of Scripture were intended to be useful to God's people today. Isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, so these, these letters, these writings, these books were written not only for the people of the day, not just for David, not just for Solomon, not just for the disciples, but they were written with us in mind. That's incredible. That makes my mind want to blow up. Listen, the Bible is 66 books written over the course of 1,600 years by 40 different authors. And yet, it tells one story. One story. It's incredible. Let's break that down. Let's talk about this, this paradigm that the Bible is 66 books. Let's look at that first. So the Bible is 66 books, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. Okay, And you may wonder, well, why these particular books? When you open up to the table of contents, you see this listing of all of these different books of the Bible. I wonder, well, how, why these ones? Weren't there other things? Surely there were other things. The Catholic Bible, for instance, some of you have come out of the Catholic tradition. If that's you, you, you know that the Catholics have extra books in their Bible. It's called the Apocrypha. Well, these books in particular that we have in this book, the 66 books, are what we consider to be the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture. So, 
we at Christ Church are non-denominational church, but we worship in the Anglican tradition. And in the Anglican tradition, there's something called the, the, the 39 Articles. These were written in the 1500s, 1563. And the 39 Articles affirm and confirm these 66 books. They're in the Bible that I'm holding and the one that you might have in your lap or the one you're listening to or reading to at home. Those 66 books are confirmed as canon in our Anglican tradition. Here's how this happened. Here's how these 66 books were arrived on. I wrote this down. The community of faith, the believers, almost 2,000 years ago, recognized that these books, these 66 books, are the Word of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God caused them to recognize God's voice. They received them. They didn't, they didn't anoint them. They received them and said, you know, these are the words of God. Now, some of you are listening to this and saying, that was the process? I mean, people who live in 2020, we have all sorts of meetings and TPS reports. This was the way that the books of the Bible were discovered. These people mystically received them and recognized them as God's voice. Yeah, that's right. You know what it's like? It reminds me of this. You ever been to a grand mountain? A major mountain? I've seen Mount Kilimanjaro. Here's a picture, okay? I've seen Kilimanjaro. This is my view when I was seeing Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is incredible. This picture does not do it justice. When you see it, it is massive. It is one of the seven summits of the world. Seven summits being the, the tallest peaks on each continent. It's the fourth tallest of the seven summits. And when you stand before Kilimanjaro, you're overwhelmed. It like, it like just, it, 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 it draws you in. There's no question, there's no mistake that it is a significant mountain. That it is beyond your understanding how it was formed. It's a mighty mountain. And I would say this, the scriptures are like a mighty mountain. When these early Christians, when these early leaders received the letters, received the books, it was undeniable to them, just like you're sitting in front of Kilimanjaro, that it was something major, that it was from God. It had that kind of effect, you see? So the 66 books is really important. Those 66 books were written over the course of 1,600 years. That's a long time. That's a really long time. I mean, we just celebrated a 25th anniversary, and we're like, that's a big deal. It's really huge, right? And it is. 1,600 years is the time span of the writings and the scriptures. And so you might wonder, are they accurate? I mean, can it be trusted over 1,600 years to be accurate? You ever hear of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Let me tell you about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947 by a Bedouin shepherd. This shepherd was, was in a cave off of the coast of the Dead Sea in a place called Qumran, and he discovered these ancient scrolls and tried to sell them to people. And when the authorities got a hold of them, they realized something significant was on their hands. In fact, so significant that it's been said that the Dead Sea Scrolls are the greatest archaeological find of modern times. Let me tell you why. There's two reasons. The first is this. We're talking about the 1,600-year span. The first reason is the date of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They did the carbon testing on them. The date is as close to the time of the modern, I'm sorry, as the ancient text as possible. It goes back to the times when these letters, the times of Christ, when these were written. 
before Christ, the book of Isaiah. And so they're really close to the original time of writing. Not only that, the comparison between the two, when you lay out the Dead Sea Scrolls and you study the language and you compare it to the the Hebrew text, the ancient text, or even the translations we have today, the trustworthiness of the Bible over the course of years is underscored because they have been wonderfully preserved throughout the ages. You get a chance to see like, wow, there are hardly any discrepancies. Like 99.9%, there's just a few misspellings in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those are the differences. The, the, the comparison between the two, the accuracy between the ancient scrolls and what you have today is incredibly accurate. It's mind-blowing. So when you think about the 1600 years, let me tell you, you can have confidence because there is evidence of the preserving work of the Holy Spirit and guarding and protecting God's Word throughout the millennia. It's incredible. So 66 books, 1600 years, 40 authors, 40 different authors. Okay, how, how do you get 40 people to agree on anything, right? 40 authors is the thing. I have two words for you about these 40 authors. Divine inspiration. Divine inspiration. Listen, when you're talking about sola scriptura, when you're talking about scripture alone, you have to include 2 Timothy 3.16. In fact, I encourage you to jot that verse down. You should go to that one. This is a verse that I would encourage all of us to memorize. 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's what it says about the Bible. For, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong thing. Um, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. Why does God get to be in charge? Luckily, the lid wasn't off of that. No spills here. Let me grab that real quick. I'm getting excited. I'm knocking the water off today. It's one of those kinds of sermons. Why does the Bible get to be in charge? Well, here's a good reason. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. Listen, the Word of God written to us is identical to God speaking to us. These are the words of God to us. That's what we believe. All Scripture is God-breathed. He inspired divinely the authors, the prophets, the apostles who wrote these books to us. They're the very words of God to us. Imagine that. The God of the universe, the God of creation, speaking to us. We have his words here. They're accurate. They span time. This is what we have. This is the Bible. So 40 authors, yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. But let me tell you, through the apostles, through the prophets, God divinely inspired them. We have the words of God to us. And the incredible thing is, 66 books, 1,600 years, 40 authors, they tell one story. One story. You know what that story is? Here it is. The story that all Scripture points to is the story of Jesus for the glory of God. That's right. The story of Jesus for the glory of God in creation, the account of creation, in, in, in acts of deliverance, in the Bible, through the birth of the church, what we see here is that all Scripture is pointing to Christ. The Bible, therefore, is important to us because it contains the clear and important story of our salvation. All of the Scriptures, all of them point to Christ. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, 
everything that was written, I'm going to repeat it again, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And the big point that they're teaching us is about salvation, my friends. So that's the first chunk of that verse. Let's look at the second chunk of Romans 15.4. Check this out. The second chunk says, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This is the continual relevance, I believe, of the Scriptures. It's speaking to that. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Wright. And Wright, by the way, his son plays for the Baltimore Ravens. Is that even a real team? I mean, come on, Wright. Wright's son plays for Ravens. He's a great guy. Wright's grandfather. He told me a story about his grandfather that I love. His grandfather served in World War I. I have a picture of Wright. He's holding a picture out of his, of his grandfather there. And, and Wright told me that his grandfather enlisted by his choice to serve in World War I. And when he went, he traversed Europe by foot. And as he did, he carried over his heart in his, in his shirt pocket a little pocket New Testament. And every time he had an opportunity to stop or when he was feeling anxious or he was afraid or he was wondering about the death around him that was going on, he would pull out that New Testament and find comfort and find hope and find real peace. And he put it over his heart again and carry around and march. I think it's such a vivid picture. I mean, doesn't this life sometimes feel like you're in a war? I mean, you're at war in your family, in your home. Maybe there's something going on. You, you feel like you're in a war at the workplace. Maybe you feel like you're in a war with the culture, that we're in a war. Well, you know what? We are. And the picture there of, of Wright's grandfather with that Bible over his heart. Man, what a great picture of who we are called to be. People who find comfort, who find peace, who find encouragement, who are able to endure many, many things. You got things to endure? There are things hanging over your head? You got issues that are challenging you? You're anxious about the future? Look, all those things, we are to find comfort, hope, encouragement, endurance, the ability to go on and on and on and press forward. Why? Because of the hope and the encouragement found in the Scriptures, my friends. That's the picture we have here. The promises of the Scriptures support us amid trials, and they enable us to endure them, not only patiently, but cheerfully. Coronavirus, listen, we got this. Why? Because we know who the victor is. We don't know what the future holds, but guess what? We know who holds the future. Amen? We sure do. And so we have this hope. And listen, it speaks of hope. The last four words are that we might have hope. In Romans 15.4. And that hope, is this not a hope that fizzles away? It's not an earthly hope. No, it's the messianic hope. This is the hope of Jesus, the Messiah. The promises of Scripture, all of them center on the hope of the now and future Messiah. And that's Jesus, my friends. Jesus. The Christian. The person who believes in Christ, who loves God, can endure trials because of the hope of eternity we have. This is the story that the Bible's telling. It's laying it out for us. We have this hope. And so we find endurance. We find encouragement in Christ and the Scriptures together. We should be turning to the Word. But let me tell you, the Bible, though it is constantly timeless, 
The Bible, though it is continually relevant, I want to express to you what I believe is happening in the world today. And with that, I want to take just a little jog across the Scriptures to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. I want to show you something here, because I believe that in light of what we believe about the Scriptures, and I see heads nodding, I see agreement about what God's Word says, but here's what I believe is happening. Look at Galatians 1 with me. I want to read verses 1 through 9 to you. Okay, we'll go through this quickly. Check this out. Paul begins his letter with a greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is pretty standard stuff. If you read the the letters of Paul, he'll begin by saying, hey, I'm Paul. Here are my credentials. I'm an apostle sent by Jesus. He'll say, hey, Galatians, good to see you. He greets them. He'll give thanks for the work of Christ. He'll bless them. This is standard stuff. But what comes next is not standard. Let's pick it back up. Here's what Paul says. He says, I am astonished. He goes from zero to 60. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He is fired up. These people have turned away from the word that was taught to them, the gospel, the good news, the very word of God. What are they doing? Turning away from it. He says, I'm astonished. I can't believe that you're doing this. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Huh? Talk about something that speaks to our day right now. Is there some confusion out there, my friends? You feel like perhaps the truth, if you're a Christian, of what we believe about the Bible is being perverted? Let me tell you this. Let me give you some more stats. I like this data. So a Gallup poll, a Gallup poll found this. That 24% of Americans, 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. 24%. That is the lowest percentage in 40 years that Gallup has found to be true. 24%. But it gets worse for me. This is, again, some Barna data, I believe. It's either Barna or Pew. They say this. Only 4 in 10 Christians say that reading the Bible is essential to what being a Christian means to them personally. Four out of ten Christians. That means that right now in this room, I'm talking to many people who honestly, at the end of the day, their life would show that they're not reading the Scriptures. They really don't believe that the Bible has much pertinence to their life. I'm talking to people at home who quite honestly, if if these numbers bear out, which I can't imagine they don't, then many say, you know, I, I really haven't read the Bible in a long time. I'll watch church services online or I'll attend them in person. But honestly, I don't really engage with the Bible. You know what I think Paul would say to us? I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you would turn away from the truth of God's word to us. The very words of God himself. That you turn away from it for something else. For what your friends on Facebook have to say. For what the media has to say. For what worldly wisdom has to say. You would turn away. I think Paul would say he's astonished. My question is, do Christians believe that the Bible's in charge? Evidently, according to the data, we don't. 
we don't believe the Bible's in charge. We don't believe the Bible has authority for us. That's essentially what that data tells us. Paul goes on, and he says this. He says, but even if we, him and his compadres, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. This man is cursing people based on the fact that they're turning away from God's word and they're teaching something else. He says, look, if an angel appears to you from heaven and they try to teach you something different than the pure gospel, if there's some other cat that comes along, he says, if me, myself, if I'm telling you something that isn't in keeping with what you first heard, then let me be cursed. Woo, this is serious stuff. Paul believed in the authority of the word, the authority of the gospel. He goes on, he says, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is kind of the, where the Reformation started. You know, Protestants, we're Protestants here at Christ Church Grove Farm. The Protestant movement said that there was only one source of special revelation from God. Only one source, and that source is the Scriptures. Rome, on the other hand, said that its, its confidence was in two kinds of special revelation. The Scriptures and also tradition. He put them on the same level. That's what Rome did. Well, Paul says no. Paul says, look, I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care if it's a pope. I don't care if it's a church council. Those groups, those people will make mistakes. But the only absolute authoritative written source of divine revelation is the Scriptures. Oh, my friends, do not desert that which is higher than any human wisdom or any human insight, the Bible. How can we do this? We have God's word to us. Let's not desert it. So, I mean, do you believe it? Do you believe that, that, that God's word, the Bible is truly God's word to us? Do you believe that? I mean, we got some people who believe that. I appreciate it. I believe it too. But I think your response and being kind of sobered by that is good because here's the thing. I would say don't just believe the Bible communally. In other words, let's just not believe it as a people and say, yes, we believe the Bible is God's word to us. And we believe that everyone should live according to God's word. We believe the Ten Commandments should be on a courthouse. All those things. Let's not just say that. We have to believe the Bible personally. you got to start with us. It begins with us. Believe the Bible personally. Be a people who turn to the Scriptures, who cling to the Scriptures. I'll give you a very practical thing you could do with this sermon. Read the Bible. It's very practical. Your response to what you're hearing from me, maybe for the first time, maybe you're going to say, I'm going to read the Bible for the first time. That'd be great. Test God. See for yourself. See if you feel like this book has hope and life and peace and encouragement for any circumstances you may find. Look, there's a Bible app called Version, Y-O-U Version. There are tons of reading plans. You could pick a reading plan and start reading it. Some of them are long, some of them are short. You could just pick up an old-fashioned Bible, a hard copy, and you could begin in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, and start reading the Bible. You, you can listen to the Bible. I enjoy listening to the Scriptures. You can go online, and you can listen to someone read it to you. Hey, how about that, huh? Pretty clever. And, and I love listening to, like, several chapters at one time. I've listened to whole books of the Bible in one sitting. It's powerful to hear the word just proclaimed and read over you. You could do that. Maybe you just start by reading one verse a day. 
That version app, they have a, a verse of the day. Maybe that's where you need to start. But your action step is this. Read the Bible. If you're a believer, I plead with you, read the Scriptures. Not just every once in a while. Let's make a habit of reading them daily, amen? I believe that's what we should do. You know, the question, why does the Bible get to be in charge? Listen, I'll tell you this. I am thankful. I am grateful the Bible's in charge. Let me tell you why. I want to take you to the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. Now we said that all the scriptures were written for our teaching today, so we can learn today. Here's a verse that proves it. Isaiah 53. I'm going to start in verse 4, read through verse 6. Listen to this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. You ever feel like you've gone astray? You feel like you've wandered away your own way? Each of us has turned to our own way, stubborn. And the Lord has done this. He has laid on him the iniquity of all. That's an Old Testament prophecy written many years before the physical appearance of Jesus Christ. And yet it speaks to who he is. Then and now to perfection. You know what? I'm glad the Bible's in charge. Why does the Bible get to be in charge? I am grateful because it is good news. Here's what I would say. Let the Bible have authority over you. Don't you want that kind of hope in your life? That when you go astray, when you go your own way, that you don't have to bear the affliction of sin on your own, but you can cling to Jesus who has carried our afflictions, who was pierced, body broken for our iniquities, for our sin. Don't you want to cling to Him? Look, the timeless nature of God's Word, it's timeless. The incredible relevance of the Scriptures, the Bible, the very utterance of God, it calls us to believe. And look, when I say believe, I'm not just saying like cognitive agreement. No, no, with your whole body, with your whole being. The Bible calls us to believe. Number one, to believe in your need because of your transgressions. That passage speaks of transgressions. You know it and I know it. The Bible calls you to believe because of your need. But here's the other part, and this is the great news. The Bible also calls us to believe in God's supply for us through the suffering and new life of Jesus. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. And let me tell you, the Scripture has great news for us. This one story from 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years, is timeless, and it speaks to you and to me today and calls us to true freedom. Man, let's be a church that loves God's Word. Let's be a people 
who believe God's word, who consume it and know it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. So powerful. Thank you, God, for the timeless nature of your word. Never goes out of style. Thank you, God, for how relevant your word is to our lives today. We feel like we're in a war often, but your word gives us peace. It gives us encouragement. It helps us to endure and keep on going through sickness, through trials, through many challenges. Oh, Lord, forgive us for not believing your word. Forgive us for not clinging to your word. Oh, God, I pray that we as a people, here at Christ Church especially, would be a people who know you and love the Bible. Help us, Lord, to do that. Give us the strength. I pray there would be people this week who pick up the Bible and say, you know, I'm going to read this one verse a day, one chapter a day. I'm going to listen to it, whatever it might be. And that we would know that we can find truth, hope, life in the Scriptures alone. Oh God, thank you for Jesus. The one who all Scripture points to. There's one story here, and it's a story of Him who bore our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. You laid our burden on Him so that we could truly have life. Thank you, God. We believe it with all of our being. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.